You're listening to Talking Smart. The official podcast of the International Association of Sheet Metal, Air, Rail, and Transportation Workers. This is Paul Pimentel, and I'm joined today by my co-host, Michael Blaine. Welcome to the third episode of Talking Smart. Each month, we bring you news, guests, and discussions of interest to working families across the United States and Canada. As the COVID-19 virus continues to spread and impact our jobs, our families, and our countries, SMART is mobilizing like never before. Across North America, we're doing all we can to help members stay informed and be safe at home and on the job during this crisis. We are also making sure our voices are heard by elected officials voting on stimulus aid packages and stepping up to help and support healthcare workers and first responders in our local communities. This episode, we hear from two local sheet metal leaders about how they are working with signatory contractors to help us all get through this crisis. We also hear new updates about important COVID-19 related legislative issues impacting SMART members. Our first guest is Andy Bredesen, business manager of Local 45 in Des Moines, Iowa, who talks with us about a collaborative effort between his local and the area chapter of SMACNA to collect N95 face masks and donate them to a local hospital that desperately needs them. We saw the coronavirus uh, rapidly uh, infecting people and we wanted to be proactive as opposed to reactive and try and get the the PPE to the people who are really on the front lines of this uh, as quickly as possible. We also talked with Jared Cassidy, Assistant National Legislative Director for the Smart Transportation Division. Jared gives us an overview of the impact of new federal stimulus measures on smart members in general and rail and transit members in particular. He also addresses the situation with the recent COVID-19 related waiver of rail safety regulations by the Federal Railway Administration. Our concern, though, is that the railroads are going to try to manufacture workforce shortages or purposely omit those furloughed at the onset of the virus so that they might achieve a laundry list of operational changes they have long desired but been unable to because of existing regulations. Uh, It's vital that we self-police the railroads during these times. Uh, We have to have each other's backs and we have to call these carriers out when they try to work around the regulations. Our third guest is John Steppen, business manager of Local 480 in Fairboat, Minnesota. John discusses how Local 480 is working with signatory contractor Daikin to modify attendance and leave policies during the pandemic, as well as how HVAC equipment produced by smart members at Daikin is already shipping out to support temporary hospitals and other healthcare facilities in areas most impacted by COVID-19. So a couple of these policies, for instance, the first uh, couple of leave policies about childcare and about suspending the, the policy for attendance, those are letters of agreement that we did immediately when the president, you know, started talking about uh, this pandemic. In addition, listen for the open mic segment at the end of this episode, where General President Joseph Sellers answers questions from members about important topics facing them and their families. Let's make sure that we're doing the steps that we can do, making sure that we're doing social distancing on the job site making sure that we're washing our hands, making sure that when we're carpooling to a job that we're also including the same safe practices that we talk about over and over again. Andy Bredesen is a 20-year sheet metal worker from Des Moines, Iowa. He became an agent in 2014. Since 2018, he has served as Local 45's business manager. In recent weeks, 
Brother Bredesen has led Local 45's efforts to identify a local hospital most in need of protective gear. Working with SMACNA and signatory contractors, Local 45 has collected thousands of N95 masks and donated them to healthcare workers who are desperately needing them. Andy, I want to welcome you to our show. Thanks for having me, guys. Andy, again, welcome to the show. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about what your local did in response to this crisis? Sure. Uh, the membership has uh, always, when, when faced with crisis, uh, came together, stepped up, came in with ideas on how we can help, and it, it actually mobilized very quickly. Started off as a conversation through the weekend with our local uh, SMACNA chapter executive, Kim Best, and one of our contractors, Mitch Golay, who's uh, vice president of Corn States. And from there, we had uh, we moved forward and made action the, that Monday morning. So, what inspired you? Did you have family members that were nurses working in Iowa? Was there some kind of shortage going? on there in Des Moines? I think the inspiration came from, well, yeah, my mother's a retired nurse, and we have several members who, wives or uh, fiance, I know of the one that's a nurse. But I think uh, more importantly, we saw the coronavirus uh, rapidly uh, infecting people, and we wanted to be proactive as opposed to reactive and try and get the, the PPE to the people who are really on the front lines of this uh, as quickly as possible. So a lot of people have been having a tough time finding these masks around the country, right? We've heard of shortages in New York, where they're a couple of days away, at least as of today, which is April 3rd, of running out of masks and other protective gear. How are you able to find these masks? Yeah, so uh, I have a pretty good uh, working relationship with uh, a gentleman by the name of James Vasey, who is an outside sales uh, person for Acme Tool. And I contacted him and was initially told that they had 500 masks, but how, however, they were being uh, procured for hospitals only. And I said, well, this is exactly what we want to do with them. We don't want to keep them. So on Agni's end, there was a little bit of hesitation to actually do the sale and fear that, you know, we might hoard them for ourselves. But uh, no, he, he actually found them through another vendor in North Dakota, and they were in our office uh, probably three or four days from the Monday that we ordered them. And by Friday, we were delivering them to hospitals. So I understand you identified a particular hospital that was in greater need, relatively speaking, than some others. Could you say how you determined that and, and what their response was? Sure. Through Again, over through... Uh, the discussion through the uh, weekend with the contractor, his wife had actually told him that she was hearing that this particular hospital was the one that was in more of a need. And uh, so we focused more of our effort there. But kind of a neat, neat story, backstory to this is I found some of the boxes of masks were rolling around under the backseat of my truck. And uh, just the other about two days ago, I went to other hospitals, and if I saw people walking around in scrubs, I'd just stop and politely ask them, excuse me, are you a nurse? And they said, yeah, I handed them a box of the N95 masks. The, the response from the people who got them was just overwhelming, and sometimes just to the point of just powerful. I saw a gal at a grocery store wearing masks and scrubs, and outside the grocery store, asked her if she was a nurse. She said yes, worked in a, uh, a home care facility or provided home care for people, kind of a senior living center is the way I took it, and they did not have this equipment, so I handed her box and she literally almost went to her knees started bawling wanted to know where i got them what my name was i told her don't even worry about that just take them and you know give them to your coworkers, and hopefully this helps out that's great so many huge and bad national and global statistics you know to kind of hear these real human stories at the ground level how you and other smart members are helping people out especially frontline healthcare workers that's that's great that particular reaction was, I mean, you know, I almost had to get out of there in a hurry because it was, it was getting emotional in a hurry. It was, it was just really powerful. So with all the emergency construction activity going on right now around this country, what would you tell other locals who are thinking about donating their PPE or thinking about looking for anything that they might have? You know, if you have the ability to do it, 
I would suggest you do it uh, to some nurses or doctors. I mean, these are again, these are the people on the front lines who are, you know, they're they're doing their job, but they're also potentially giving up their own health to care for others. And we need to take care of those who are taking care of us because we don't have that. Uh, we're going to be in a real big problem. How's it looking in Iowa right now in terms of with COVID-19? Uh, so we've got, a, and here in Iowa, we have roughly, I'd say just under 700 cases. There's been a couple dozen deaths. For the most part, we're doing really good at maintaining the social distancing, uh, hand washing. Iowa's doing their part to try not to spread it. As far as our workers go, our members, it's just about everybody's working. There were some guys that took a voluntary layoff when they shut down the Facebook job site. We're hearing some more possible layoffs coming, but we're hearing also that that's due to the manufacturers of the equipment not getting it to our contractors in enough time, and they can't carry that man, that manpower load. So that we're seeing that effect there. Well, you know, Andy, there's a lot of untold stories out there. Yours is one of them. I think now with, with all of us being essential employees, right, a lot of our members, yeah. a lot of the work we do, people are realizing how important it is. And people like you stepping up is going to make a big difference in the long run in terms of what's going on out yeah. there. I appreciate that. And we're still, you know, like a lot of people around, we're still actively looking for uh, any sort of PPE that we can donate. And it's it's just, it's not there. But hope, what I hope is that with it not being there, it's getting into the hands that it should be. Yeah, absolutely. Just wondering, do you, do you have a sense of how many of your locals' members are still working? How much has this all impacted your members in terms of being able to go to work? Right now, I guess, again, we're doing pretty good. Um, I'd say we still got about 85 to 90 percent of the local working. Those guys are doing everything they can to maintain a clean environment. That's hard to do on a new construction site, obviously, but... Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, they're, they're doing what they can, and we haven't heard too much about it. So it's so far so good. You know what? Thank you for looking out for your local community there. Thank you for looking out, making sure the members are safe, making sure the local community is safe. You're a model of what we need to be doing out there. I want to thank you for what you've been doing and, and for being on this podcast today. Yeah, hey, thank you for having me, and uh, I hope others can help out, and hopefully we can get uh, get through this thing and you know try and get back to some sense of normalcy. Yeah, thanks, Andy, and be safe out there. Thanks, guys. Thank you, brother. You are listening to Talking Smart. As the coronavirus continues to impact our communities and jobs, please visit the Smart homepage at www.smart-union.org for a compilation of COVID-19 resources from across our industries and trusted government sources from throughout the United States and Canada. Our next guest is Jared Cassidy. Jared is a Smart TD member who served as a conductor and engineer at CSX for 15 years. After that, he served as the Kentucky Director of Legislation since 2012. He was recently elected this past August to serve as Assistant National Legislative Director at the Smart TD Convention. Jared, I want to welcome you to the podcast. Thank you, Paul. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, welcome, Jared. Thanks for joining us. Jared, can you talk to us a bit about the impact of new federal stimulus measures for smart members in general and then smart TD members specifically? Sure. You know, for the TD side, it's important to remember, too, that, that we kind of have two sets of unemployment, one being under the railroad retirement system and the others being more under the state unemployment. But for the members that receive their unemployment benefits through the state provided services, they'll receive an extra 600 per week on top of the existing state unemployment rates. The law also provided an extension of 13 weeks to those benefits. 
And then for the members that are employed by employers with 50 to 500 employees, paid sick leave of up to 80 hours and paid emergency FMLA was also made available. Again, that's for the members that don't receive it, uh, benefits through the RRB. Um, for the members that do fall under the RRB, the one-week waiting period for sickness and unemployment benefits was waived. During this emergency, the benefits are available the very first day they're furloughed or sick up and until December 31st of this year. Now, the unemployment benefit has actually been enhanced to provide an additional 1200 per registration period, or it's basically a bi-weekly claim period. Um, this is on top of the current provided unemployment benefit, which is currently maxed at $733.98. Um, benefits have also been extended up to 13 weeks for those that may have exhausted their benefits this year already or are currently collecting benefits um, under the RRB. Also on an administration level, uh, the law allocated $425 million to pay for the enhanced benefit, as well as $50 million to cover the cost of eliminating the waiting period. Um, if I could, I'd also like to note it's important for anyone that anticipates possibly needing benefits to go ahead and create an account with the RRB online at their website. Uh, the field offices are currently closed because of the virus. It will also help shorten the time they need to uh, get the benefits started and also prevent the system from being overloaded. On that one week waiting period for sickness and unemployment benefits, do they have to have had a test and be confirmed case of COVID-19? Or if they're just experiencing symptoms and they miss time, does that still apply? So for the sickness, the first period is allowed to be under symptoms, but to, to allow continued benefits, the RRB is requesting some type of medical documentation. If you can provide an affidavit basically saying that it's a signed statement from you saying that you're experiencing the symptoms, that helps the first week go through. But further on, they will ask that you provide some type of documentation from a medical provider. Uh, and understanding that, you know, there are some difficulties with this virus. The RRB has said they'll be lenient uh, in that, but you know, anything you can get from the medical provider is, is certainly going to help in that. So Jared, where can members go to access these regulations? Uh, the Smart TD website actually has everything there. It's it's got quite a library for the COVID um, information. It's got all the all the applicable links to the RRB and, and state unemployment offices. Um, but you can also go directly to the railroad retirement website, which is rrb.gov. And then for state provided unemployment benefits, um, just whatever the, the state's unemployment website is. Uh, typically, if you just Google the state and unemployment, it'll take you where you need to go. So there's been three stimulus packages already. There's talk about a fourth package. What do you anticipate might be in that? And what might the timeline for that package be? Well, interestingly enough, all of this is changing very rapidly because of the virus. Um, had you asked that yesterday, I'd have told you it's going to be an infrastructure focused bill. But from the correspondence that I've read this morning from the speaker's office, uh, it looks as though the fourth package is now going to likely be an expansion of the third, um, basically more help for city, states, small businesses and unemployment. We're going to do our best on our end to see that we get enhanced sickness and FMLA benefits added to the next bill for our RRB members. Um, unfortunately, the way the previous monetary enhancements were written from the third law, it did not add a benefit for those members. Um, so we're going to look to see that we can get some kind of, of similar benefits for our members when it comes to sickness and FMLA that was provided to other employees um, under the third law. Jared, one topic that uh, we don't want to leave uncovered is what happened last week when the FRA allowed a waiver of safety regulations to go through, and this was all on the request of the rail carriers. Can you give us some background on that? Sure. Um, the regulations have long allowed relief from rules and emergency situations. Um, you know, this isn't something new. At the beginning of every year, the administrator of the Federal Railroad Administration establishes an emergency relief docket. 
that way if an emergency arises uh, like COVID-19 typically you know this is uncharted territory um, but say a flood they'll declare such an emergency exists and they'll allow petitions for relief from industry stakeholders. Um, the most recent uh, that I can recall happened last year with the floods in the Midwest. Um, the idea with this process is to allow railroads the ability to move freight or people in the event that a particular emergency prevents them from doing so per the rules. However, this emergency is different because it's based solely on manpower. There is no actual barrier or obstruction that the railroads have to actually work around. Their request is based on nothing more than the assumption or anticipation that a workforce shortage will ultimately exist. But, and this, this is a really big but, because of precision scheduled railroading and seasonal volumes of freight, approximately 15 to 20 percent of the train and engine workforce is already in furlough. The likelihood of an actual workforce shortage among those ranks is slim to none. Our concern, though, is that the railroads are going to try to manufacture workforce shortages or purposely omit those furloughed at the onset of the virus so that they might achieve a laundry list of operational changes they have long desired but been unable to because of existing regulations. Uh, it's vital that we self-police the railroads during these times. Uh, we have to have each other's backs and we have to call these carriers out when they try to work around the regulations or when there are trained and qualified personnel available in the carrier's ranks and furlough. I assure you that our office and that this union will act on those reports and we will hold the railroads and the FRA's feet to the fire. This is our member's safety and the safety of the public that we're talking about here, and we will do everything in our power to hold the railroads and the FRA accountable, to call them out when they try to manipulate the system to protect their bottom line, but especially when they do it under the guise of safety. We know the truth, we must expose the truth, and we must always have each other's backs at all times, but especially during this virus. And in order to do so, as we talked about a little bit earlier, we've created numerous reporting systems on the on the Smart TD website, and officer contact is also available there. Uh, and I would even offer my own number if they would like to call me directly. They can do so at 740-550-6715, and I will be more than glad to help. What were some of the safety regulations that were waived? Could you give us a, an illustrative example of something specific that they're now no longer, you know, temporarily required to abide by? Well, one of the most concerning for me is that according to the regulations for a conductor or an engineer to operate on mainline track under the certification rules, they have to be qualified on that territory to do so. Um, they requested relief from that regulation uh, in the anticipation of manpower shortage. And basically, in short, what their request said is we would like to use conductors that are not qualified on a territory uh, up to a speed of 40 miles an hour. Um, this is particularly concerning because they did not put any limits on the type of trains, the weight of trains, the length of trains. It's just a blanket, unqualified territorial permission to use whomever on this territory. And if it were to be in a well train or anything, really any train poses significant risk. But to use those folks and not have them qualified is, is a severe risk to public safety and to, the, and to the health and safety of our members as well. It sounds not too unlike what the Environmental Protection Agency is doing in uh, rolling back a lot of anti-pollution regulations under the, the guise of we need to do this during the pandemic. Yeah, unfortunately, the, the virus has provided an opportunity for those that are more interested in the bottom dollar, and uh, they're trying to accomplish what they haven't been able to accomplish prior to. You know, one of the other things that's concerning from the petition or the or from the granting of, of relief is even though they, the railroads did not request relief from hours of service rules, the FRA went ahead and took the opportunity to remind them that it's possible to do so in an emergency and basically gave them uh, a blanketed permission to, to break hours of 
of service rules, even though it's an actual statute, not just a regulation. And so, you know, we have to be really careful what's going on out there. And it's vital that our members are paying attention and that they're speaking up when they feel that something's going on that isn't safe or the system's being manipulated in such a way that, you know, they can opt for the cheapest route possible rather than the safest. So the FRA effectively invited the rail carriers to ask them to waive safety regulations. I don't even know that they necessarily asked them. They just kind of told them they could, unfortunately. Just in case you're thinking about it, go ahead and ask us to waive. And we'll give you anything, carte yeah. blanche. Yeah. You know, something else I just wanted to add is is on the Smart Union website, Smart Union Smart TD website, right there at the very top, we have prioritized links and we have a big banner up top and that report form for anybody who's having trouble finding it is right there at the very top. Big and bold, making sure everybody knows to see that. We want to make sure as many people have as much access to that as possible. This is extremely important. This is affecting the health and safety of our brothers and sisters on the railroads who are already being asked to keep our critical infrastructure going. Jared, thank you for being on this podcast today. What you're telling us is, is some pretty important stuff and some disturbing stuff as well. Mike, did you have something you wanted to throw in there? Yeah, one more question. In our last episode, we talked to Jeremy Ferguson, head of the Transportation Division, and he mentioned how many stories you're hearing and, and incident reports you're getting from around the country of trains and stations and public areas that are not being cleaned or sanitized. He also mentioned that your members were encountering people who were exhibiting symptoms of COVID-19 or were confirmed cases and they were having trouble getting them you know, off where they need to get them off or quarantining them on the trains. Just wondering, everything seems to be piling up day after day. What are you hearing in the last couple of days on that front? Well, the reports have actually slowed down a little bit. There does seem to be a trend of better behavior as far as providing members um, from the carriers uh, sanitation products or actual efforts in and of itself. It's not perfect. We are still receiving a concerning number of reports. There is still work to be done, but the trend does seem to be getting a little better. Um, there is still much concern over actual social distancing, especially in passenger and how to protect those members and really even how to protect the passengers. Um, the sanitation of those trains is particularly difficult. And just the close proximity of how our membership works is, is a scary prospect and how to make sure they're, they're best prepared and best protected from this virus. We need all hands on deck, but the carriers have got to do their part to help out. And, you know, it's going to require disinfecting chemicals. It's going to require time, which I think is the most unwilling thing or the one thing they're most unwilling to provide. Uh, to allow that these the cabs of these locomotives and these trains get disinfected at every possible chance, particularly in between crew changes. And I guess if I had to think of one biggest ask for us, it would be that they provide the time for those things to happen so that we can keep our folks safe. Yeah, like I was saying before, there's some disturbing stuff there. There's a lot of important stuff that's going on right now that you're on top of. And the number one priority, of course, is the health and safety of every member and their families. That we're not bringing this home to our families as well. When you look at the episode description, all those links that Jared referenced are all going to be there on the episode description. Please take a look at them, make use of them, and look out for yourself and your families. Jared, I want to thank you for being on here. And, thank you. Um, Truly an honor. We know you're juggling a lot and there's a whole lot going on, and thanks for taking the time to talk with us today. Thank you. Glad to do it. Thank you, brother. Stay safe. All right, y'all too. You're listening to Talking Smart. Mobilize, organize, unionize. Do you have story ideas or have a question for the general president or union leadership? Call us toll-free at 844-984-0947 with your questions or ideas. Once again, 
844-984-0947. Our next guest is John Steppen. He is a business manager of Local 480 in Fairboat, Minnesota. John's a smart member who started as a maintenance worker that performed electrical work at Daikin in Minnesota. Today, he's representing the membership of his local, which he's been doing for the past two years. Brother Steppen has an interesting backstory as well. On the few days that he has off, he hunts and fishes from his home that sits on over 200 acres of land back in rural Minnesota. He collects maple from his trees and raises honeybees. John, welcome to the podcast. Yeah, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, John, welcome to the show. Thank you. John, Dykin's a company that's been signatory with Local 480 for how long now? I believe they, we've gone through a few different ownership groups, but uh, it's been over 50 years. Okay, now you have a new contra contract with Dykin. How long ago? Yeah, we do. Uh, okay, how long ago was that that you negotiated it? So our new contract uh, was signed back in October. Uh, at the time, we only had 30 members in the shop. And uh, right now, we are already up to 80 members in that shop with the uh, plan to add uh, maybe up to 150 by the end of the year. So what kind of work does Dykin do? Uh, they do uh, commercial HVAC units, so air handlers and uh, chillers and air conditioners, things like that, big rooftop units. So things seem to sound like they were going pretty smoothly after you negotiated that contract and then COVID-19 happened. So how did you and the company respond? Well, you know, it's a it's difficult to strike that balance between, you know, we want to keep our members safe, of course, but we also want to keep them employed and, uh, you know, carry on their health benefits and, and their other benefits. So, uh, you know, the things to do to make them stay safe, uh, you know, immediately suspended attendance policy. Um, you can call in sick without fear of getting terminated. Uh, the other things we do is we have some different leave options. If you're a member that has a someone at home that may be, uh, have uh, some sort of physical ailment that would cause you to be uh, particularly susceptible to COVID-19, you could take a leave uh, based on that. Or if you yourself were, had some sort of ailment. Uh, if you have children that were in school in Minnesota here, schools have all been uh, shut down at this point and you can't find childcare, you know, there's leave options for that too. So we, in, we put in those policies to make sure that their jobs would be protected and they had some place to come back to. Hey, John, for the, the policy, if you're someone who is particularly at risk because of a pre-existing health condition and you said they could take a leave of absence, is that whether they've been exposed to somebody they knew tested positive? No, there would be no need uh, at that point to be exposed to anyone. If you were just not feeling that you were safe uh, to be out in public even, we do have an option where you could just take an extended leave. Uh, we made sure with our providers that you would qualify for FMLA. And in Minnesota, our uh, unemployment insurance would most likely cover that person as well that would make up for any money that you weren't making on short-term disability. That's great. That's a lot more uh, flexible than what a lot of workers are experiencing right now. Mm -hmm. So these new clauses to the contract or these new additions to the contract, how long are these are in place for? So we haven't put a specific date on them as an end date. We are just kind of following with what the, the governor in this state is recommending. So as long as the pandemic takes place, these, these will be active. Is this contractual language or addendums or these are new company policies that have been adopted 
And if the latter, what role is the local played in coming up with those? So a couple of these policies, for instance, the first uh, couple of leave policies about child care and about suspending the, the policy for attendance, those are letters of agreement that, that we did immediately when the president, you know, started talking about uh, this pandemic. Um, these, these other ones are company policies that have come about later, and they're constantly changing as the situation changes. John, just for a lot of people who are not in Minnesota and are outside of Minnesota, Minnesota, how does it look over there right now in terms of with the pandemic? Well, we're on a stay-at-home order from the governor, so uh, it's only essential workers, and of course our members are essential workers building uh, air conditioners for hospitals and things of that nature. But we're still at kind of the beginning stages. There's only about 700 cases here in Minnesota in our county that our uh, factories are in. There's only three cases, so we're at the beginning stages. I, I know that this is going to get uh, worse in the coming weeks, and you know, just that's why we're working these policies right now. You mentioned something as part of the policies about uh, for members with kids who are out of school right now. There's a leave program. Can you say a yeah. little bit more about that and, and kind of how members are utilizing that so far or how helpful that's being? Yeah, so the leave program, um, for, for members with, with uh, children that can't get childcare, because of course a lot of daycares are shut down too. So there's a leave policy where immediately all you have to do is a phone call and you'll be excused for three days. And then, you know, that gives you a little time to, to figure it out. And if you can, if you can't find childcare in that time, then you can request a longer leave. And then at that point, you would actually qualify under the uh, governor's orders and the uh, act from the federal government for uh, benefits to get paid outside from the government standpoint. That's great. And did that, that come through one of the letters of agreement or was that a, a company policy? It's actually a company policy, company-wide corporate policy. You mentioned that some of your members are working on production for air conditioners and I presume other equipment that is put into hospitals and other medical facilities. Obviously, air quality is critically important right now. The coronavirus can be airborne for brief periods of time if people cough or sneeze. And there's all these frontline healthcare workers are, are already there putting themselves at risk. Some of them don't necessarily have enough protective equipment. Could you just say a little bit about the role or the importance of members in your local and across the union in maintaining and installing this type of equipment that is so important now in our hospitals. I, I believe that FEMA is setting up some temporary hospitals in stadiums and things like that. And they have these, they're almost like tents. Our company and, and uh, other companies are building these units and they're quick shipping them, getting them out there, you know, and just like you said, you know, they're, they're units that have high filtration. You know, our members will install them. Our members are going to build them and, you know, hopefully they'll be installed in the next couple of weeks and, you know, out there helping uh, save lives. Do you know, are any of those types of temporary facilities being put up in Minnesota right now, or is that more for? other places that are currently being yeah, it, harder it seems like they're shipping them out uh you know where the where it's the worst uh places like new york and new orleans and you know west coast places out there i'm not exactly privy to where those exactly are going i just i just know that that's what they're currently working on our members are producing some of that critically important equipment right now yeah absolutely yep they, i know the orders are just starting to roll out right now yeah, you know, John, a lot of people don't know what we do and what this union does and the members of this union. A lot of members are on the front lines building a lot of the equipment that's going to be going into these facilities, besides also transporting all the freight for our critical infrastructure and installing that equipment as well and building those facilities. You're an important part of the response to this. You know, it's important for people to know exactly what we're doing and what we're how we're contributing to this. I want to thank you for everything that you've done. 
what you're doing on behalf of your members. And uh, I want you and your family to stay safe on behalf of everybody here. Yeah, thank you very much. Yeah, you stay safe. It's going to get a little worse before it gets better, but uh, I believe we can weather the storm and we just stick together. Absolutely. Apart. <laughs> yeah. Be safe and thanks for joining us. Thank you. Have a great night. Thank you, John. We want to give a shout out to our friends at the AFL-CIO and their podcast. A new episode of State of the Unions drops every other Wednesday and features interesting interviews with working people and our allies across the country. State of the Unions is available on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and anywhere else you can find podcasts. Welcome to the open mic segment with General President Joseph Sellers, who's here with us today. Our first question comes from Glenda Healy, who asks, are Canadian students eligible to apply for a scholarship through the SMWI Scholarship Fund and or the SMWI Scholarship Foundation? So I'd like to thank you, Paul, for that question as well. Glenda, for submitting your question. Uh, first and foremost, I wanna make sure that all of our members and their families are safe and continued health through this pandemic. But to get back to Glenda's question, yes, Canadian students who are eligible dependents of one of our sheet metal members from the construction or production local, they certainly can apply to our scholarships that are offered through the Sheet Metal Workers Scholarship Fund and the Sheet Metal Workers Scholarship Foundation. So get an application, complete it, submit it properly to the fund office, and it will be processed. So thank you for that question. This question comes in from Tommy Hawkins, who is a sheet metal worker from Local 124 in Oklahoma City. He asks, what is the plan when one of the workers on a site at a hospital tests positive? Are they going to test everyone on the site and pay to quarantine them for 14 days so they don't bring it home to their family? Well, thank you for that question, Tommy. And I know that there's a, a lot of concern and there's a lot of anxiety of what to do on job sites under many, many conditions. And I will say that your local unions are on top of it, trying to provide information, trying to provide guidance. But I think first and foremost, workers should be wearing their personal protective equipment. Let's make sure that we're doing the steps that we can do, making sure that we're doing social distancing on the job site making sure that we're washing our hands, making sure that when we're going up the elevator that we're still practicing safe distances, making sure that when we're carpooling to a job that we're also including the same safe practices that we talk about over and over again. That way we're protecting ourselves and we're protecting our coworkers. I would also say, let's go to schmoit.org. They have a lot of guidelines. They have a lot of good information. This includes under the Schmoit guidelines, it includes safe work practices, making sure that we're thinking about safe work practices at lunchtime when we're, when we're gathering together and making sure that we have those social distancing that we practice and we hear so much about at home, but we also need to do when we're working as well. But I would also say that as a further response, what should take place at a job site where a worker tests positive? That site should be thoroughly clean. It should be sanitized prior to workers going back to work on that site. I would also make sure that as a sheet metal worker, you contact your union representative. As a transportation division member, go to our website, smart-union.org slash TD, and you'll find a reporting form so that you're informing your union representatives, making sure that our reps know what's going on at the job site. 
If workers have symptoms, then they should not be at work. They should self-quarantine, as we've heard for many, many weeks now. And they should self-quarantine for 14 days. When workers return, in many cases, temperatures are taken. If their temperatures are over 100 degrees or it's above that, those workers are not entering those job sites. This temperature taking has been implemented in many locations, and they are taken in the morning in some cases. Temperatures are taken again at lunchtime in some cases. And also, I've heard of job sites where they're taking them at the end of the day because fever spikes at different times. So they're taking these uh, body temperatures, imaging body temperatures, so that they can capture the temperature. And if it's over 100, that causes concern for all the other workers. So I want to make sure that we're using our personal protection, we're using social distancing, we're sanitizing our hands at the workplace and making sure that we're doing everything we can to protect ourselves, to protect our co-workers, and to protect our family. Uh, General President Sellers, I want to thank you for this open mic segment and for the Q&A and the frank discussion. And we look forward to hearing you on our next segment uh, coming up. Well, thank you, Paul. This podcast, this Q&A section, is something that I enjoy doing. I wanna make sure that we continue to listen to our members. It's different than what we may have done at a job site visit or a shop visit or on a rail yard, but we're gonna to continue to talk to our members, find out and listen to what Glenda and Tommy have to say so that we can get whatever information we can on the topics that we just discussed or others and provide guidance through these very difficult times, through this pandemic and this crisis, so that we're all working together, that we're all making sure that together we will get through this. And I believe that, and I thank you for participating and paying attention and asking your questions. Thank you. 